I'm just slacking you the PDF of the book, by the way. Yeah, you slack her the PDF of that bad boy. <laughs> you slack that PDF over that book. I honestly have a hard time reading books on computer. Yeah, you, you print that out on broadsheets, and you read that with your naked eye in the IRL. This is the Green Majority, and I'm yelling into a microphone. C-I-U-T 89.5 FM, the one and only, or on your local community radio station, gorgeous, steadfast, daily, or on your favorite podcast platform, the Harbinger Media Network. That is true. My name, David Franklin Irwin Hostetter. I'm Stefan Christian Irwin Hostetter. My name Lauren. Stefan is interviewing the documentarian Victoria Lane. Yes. We have had her on the show before. Yeah. With uh, previously, it was "We're All Going to Die," even Jay Baruchel. Oh right. And uh, this one is the climate baby dilemma, which is now streaming on CBC Gem. You can go watch it right now. She spent innumerable hours interviewing who? Climate activists, uh, you know, in, uh, indigenous leaders, uh, a whole broad range of academics. It follows actually a woman who's writing a book on the subject. But really, a whole bunch of people talking about this concept of having a child and bringing a child into a world that you know uh, is doomed to at least some sort of climate change destruction. Imagine having that many conversations on this topic. Oh, yeah, I know. That is not an easy task for someone to go around having this many conversations about whether or not to have children yeah. in our world. <laughs> oh, yeah. Low-key, it was a question that I remember, and I remember we talked about that movie Don't Look Up when it came out earlier this year, and when she did the press tour for it, Jennifer Lawrence, who starred in that movie, was, like, very, very pregnant, and I kept, like, whenever I saw clips of interviews, it was like, why is nobody asking her this question about, like, you just made this movie about global annihilation, you are very pregnant bringing your first child into the world, how do you feel, what are your, what are your feelings and your thoughts, yeah. and nobody asked her, at least not that I saw like four years ago, no, way when that, eight or nine years ago, maybe, I watched a play based on this exact question, actually. And it was a very depressing play. But that was sort of the first introduction to that sort of question that I that I experienced. That I thought it was really interesting, and, and, and that's why I went to the play. And then, like, I started having this conversation in my real life. You know, like, my friends started talking to me about this, partially because they're like, oh, you know about climate change. Should I do this? Which is a terrifying question that should not be asked um, because I will not have an answer for you. But um, but yeah, and then, and then earlier, again, we talk about this in the interview, but uh, there is an Ezra Klein podcast where, where he's answering questions from listeners. And apparently every time he did that version of that show, the number one question he got asked was, should I have kids because of climate change? And so he actually answers the question in a, in a, in an app in his latest one. Cause he's like, you've asked me too many times. I can't keep ignoring you, but yeah. And, and so it keeps coming back. And actually the reason we talked to Victoria uh, last time was because she was looking for people to be a part of this in conversation. And I was like, that's such an interesting conversation. I, like, I'd love to, you know, he, hear more. And it's like, in that at the time she was talking about this other documentary, but now it's out. Now you can go watch this. So are you speaking with her about the process of making the documentary? What exactly, what kind of topics are you speaking with her? About? We talk about what inspired the documentary, um, what she learned about our collective psyche. 
know. from all oh, the conversations. No. That's probably that's wow. Um, that's <laughs> some of the some of the conversations that stood out to her in the conversation, but with different people. Uh, and then we talk about then we talk about it. Like I mentioned, we, we talk a little bit about Malthus, and we come out very strongly as an anti-Malthusian podcast. And uh, then we talk about the response, which apparently has been really positive and is garnering a lot of conversation. The Malthusian thing is like, isn't he just like, is, isn't his, his point is not that we need a smaller population. Isn't his point that just we shouldn't do anything about poverty because p- p- population is always going to be called in a certain way by nature? I, I think I think I think so. Basically, yes, it's like. Malthus put forward this concept and this is me who this is this is me pulling knowledge out of like the depths of my brain um I think it's like basically the concept that every ecosystem including like like the an ecosystem in the macro sense like the biosphere that we live within um has a carrying capacity and that yes the ecosystem will then go through a natural culling process over time blah blah blah, blah. um but but basically it's like Malthus, I, I don't actually know if he was like a eugenicist himself or if just his concepts were then used in the name of eugenics, basically. But but the idea is that those concepts have been perverted and utilized and exploited in the name of like um like like race racist and classist and ableist eugenics, basically, to justify um forced sterilization um and various like I guess you would almost consider them like public health policies to to restrict um and control the population of marginalized peoples in favor of um promoting population growth amongst like white wealthy westerners essentially right because because there's a limit to the population levels so we need to make sure the right people are born kind of thing I think essentially yeah Yes. Which isn't uh, a vibe. That's not yeah. good. That's bad. That's actually bad. Um, but I, I do actually want to get your perspective, Lauren, on this central question, you know, of having kids, you know, due to climate change. What are your thoughts? So it's something that like, yeah, it comes up in conversation all the time, um, especially like as as a person with a uterus of childbearing age. Um, it's a conversation that comes up with friends a lot, especially as more and more of my peers are choosing to have children potentially. Um, and I guess just like right off the bat, as I'm sure like this pertains to the conversation you have later as well, like there is no right answer whether you choose to have a child or don't choose to have a child. If you can have children, if you can't have children, like nothing that we say, like I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about your life. I don't know anything about you as a listener or your experience. So like, please, take literally everything I say with like the the biggest heaping grain of salt in the entire world because nothing I say matters. I'm an I'm a dummy with a microphone. It doesn't it is of no consequence. But anyway, so that putting that out there, yes. just want to make sure I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. Um yeah, so it's like there's sort of like there's almost like two kind of like concepts with this question of having a child in an era of like global societal and ecosystem collapse and it's like yeah that first one is like should you have a kid from that like gross population control standpoint and it's like to anybody listening I would like to say like f that like don't pay attention to that you and your carbon footprint and the carbon footprint of your child is of like literally no consequence. I remember like there was an argument that was made a few years ago. We started to see this idea that like the best thing you can do for climate change and for your carbon footprint is not to have a baby. And it's like, screw that noise. Your carbon footprint is of is of no consequence. Kylie Jenner's flying her jet for three minutes. It does not, it does not matter. Do not make it. it, it my advice would be 
to not worry about the carbon footprint of your potential offspring when you are considering the larger question of having a kid. Putting that aside, there's the other question of like, how do you feel about bringing a child into a world that could potentially be so dangerous for them to grow up in? And um, how how scary of a place is it going to be? How safe a place is it going to be? How pleasurable and beautiful of a place is it going to be? You know what I mean? And and that that to me is the question that's more interesting. Um, and I think where I come back to and where I continue to come back to time and time again is the idea that I I really love the idea that like even whether or not I choose to have a kid, it's kind of the jury's out on this one. I would need to find kind of the perfect partner to want to co-parent with. But anyway, it's like the idea that having a child in a world of like such nastiness is a form of resistance and like a beacon of hope, I think is like a really, really beautiful notion. Um, and the idea that like, as long as people are continuing to bring new babies into the world and continuing to bring new people and trying to do right by those new little people, um, as long as that continues to happen, there's an indication that like, we're still trying to do our best as a species and still trying to do right by each other and right by non-human animals and right by the planet. Um, and, and, and so in, in that case, I'm like, I'm, I'm pro baby, obviously I'm not pro baby for everybody. It's your choice. It's your body. It's your life. I'm, I'm deeply apologetic to people for whom this conversation might be upsetting because they maybe can't have a child for whatever reason. Um, and if you can't have a child or you don't want to have a child again, I'm not, I'm not blaming you for that in any way, shape or form. But, um, I think the idea that some folks are having children out of, um, like a form of like righteous hope and indignation in the face of like such tragedy, I think is very cool. Um, but again, I understand that that even itself comes from a position of privilege because it comes from the idea that you will be able to safeguard your child from like the terrors of the world. And I mean, that's never the case with any parent 100% of the time, but, um, I don't know. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's a cool beacon in, right. in an otherwise kind of dark landscape. Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you in that sort of rejection of the concept that it's so bleak that you shouldn't have kids, you know? I do think that having the conversation is actually really interesting and really useful in terms of it being quite real. You know, in the conversation that I have that we have uh, with Victoria later on, one of the things we talk about a little bit is the impact of it, of thinking this out loud around people who may not take climate change as seriously as as we do. Because it's the most personal of decisions. And so to talk about how that reality and how the reality of you experiencing climate change is impacting that personal decision, I think is sort of like the ultimate calling of the bluff that I think climate deniers think we're making a little bit. You know, like I think just even discussing this conversation, you know, as you said, that in the conversation that we have, I have with Victoria later, we talk a little bit about how you know, your, you know, the uncle at Thanksgiving might not really understand how seriously you're taking it. But the moment you start talking about the fact that you're not having kids or wondering about this conversation, it does open up a different avenue, you know, or, or, or even it's even more impactful, I think, for something like a grandparent who's like really, or your parents who really wants to be a grandparent. You're like, I mean, if the world doesn't change, it's going to be hard for me to justify is a, is a powerful wedge to use against your conservative family. Uh, and, you know, maybe you don't want to use a theoretical future child as a wedge, but it does, I think, speak to how seriously and how scared so many people are. That's the other thing that, that, that's the other thing that we get into a little bit in the conversation is just like, 
the fact that this conversation exists at all is an indication that our collective psyche is not great. That like a huge percentage of young people and people who are just entering the sort of the age where they consider this are questioning, is the world going to be viable for my child? Is a is, is a new react reality in some ways for 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 many of us who you know who don't grow up in you know who've grown up with relative privilege the you know the my parents in the 70s you know had i guess the vietnam war but they weren't thinking about you know a theoretical armageddon coming unless it was a nuclear bomb but it is a different shift and i think it does open up a different conversation and is a mirror back to the society about how truly terrified a a large subset of young people really are. I'm pretty insulated in a pretty like climatey lefty bubble. Everybody I know who's dear to me, who's had children has been like, yeah, this is a serious consideration for me. My partner and I pined over it. I, we're still not totally sure, but, but I guess that's also the thing. It's like, you have conversations with folks within the climate world all the time about like, how much hope do you have? How much optimism do you have? What keeps you going? Blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, what I think I hear from a lot of people almost like not even specifically as it pertains to children, but just like the work you do in general day to day as it pertains to climate changes. It's like, well, I might not be optimistic in like the capital O smiley face sense, but you have to have like a, like a, a nugget, a seed of like radical hope within you that, that this is going to be worth it for something. You know what I mean? That like, there's like that whole thing on that IPCC report from like five years ago now where it's like every degree matters every day matters every policy matters and like in that sense like yeah your little one matters too and what you choose to do with their little life matters as well because they're going to grow up one day and have to live in the world as well so like again it's whatever you go with personally whatever works for you is a beautiful thing well to me to me it's like who who really thinks that their child is going to say you shouldn't have given birth to me? I mean, there are some antinatalist people, like made made a couple of headlines being like there was one guy I think in India suing his parents, yeah. being like I didn't want I didn't I didn't choose to be born. So I mean I don't think anyone would really take seriously someone who's who would blame their parents for giving birth to them saying I never I never wanted to give to be born. But isn't but isn't there, and isn't on the other side there is some kind of tension with the perspective that it's like we can do whatever we want personally in the sense that like because because climate change is about the idea the the notion of of a material limit right the idea of a physical limit and so there has to be there has to be something noble about saying i'm not going to bring another mouth into this particular society where it's like we're the most consuming society on the earth. And to say that I, I simply don't want to bring another uh, consumer into that, right? I would consider that to be a, a noble choice. Yeah, I mean, but I, I would, but I would not say that it's ignoble to not make that choice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of in some ways where I come down, which is that I totally can find a nobility in, in both answers, you know, in the, in the version of the world where sort of Lauren articulated of, my child is going to be, you know, a, a beacon of resistance to this, the bleakness. I can see a nobility in that. But also at the same time, you're not wrong, right? Like the idea of seeing the society being broken and being like, I I don't want to add another person into this, you know, into this space because of, you know, the consumption that they might entail is also a totally respectable answer. Like, I don't think there's a, as we said many times in this show already, there's not a wrong answer to this question. Um, and, 
and, and, and I think you can make a very strong case for both. And it's just how each one of us is moving through our days and what we come and bring to, you know, like, I think the only, the only sort of bad answer is I don't want to have kids because the world's gonna be terrible. So I'll then just blow all of my car, like I'll just like fly on planes all the time so I can burn up the world because I'm not going to have a kid anyway so I don't have any attachment to the future. Like the weird only- like carbon trading, con- the weird like carbon trading market approach to having a child or not having a child. That's true. Together. If you don't have if you don't have a kid, you're conceivably spending that money on carbon intensive activities conceivably. Yeah. And, and there is. And, and the thing is, I was just reading the intro. I'm I'm reading a book right now called Climate Change is Class War. And he briefly touches in the intro on that notion of like people as consumers and our approach to class that way. But anyway, I feel like I'm going to read that book and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to dig into this conversation a little bit more in another couple of weeks. That's also my way of making sure I finished the freaking book. I would love to talk about people as consumers. I think that'd be fascinating. We have an interview upcoming with people from the well-being economy who are trying to sort of shift the purpose of our economy to people's well-being versus capital or GDP increase, which I think could dovetail well with that conversation. But as it stands now, we're going to go to a quick music break and then be rejoined uh, by Victoria Lane, who is the documentary filmmaker of The Climate Baby Dilemma, which is available right now on CBC Gem. You can go check it out. And yeah, stick around. Enjoy the conversation. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. And we would take this opportunity to graciously thank every individual donating to our Patreon page. Thank you very much. And I'll take myself another opportunity and uh, remind everyone that we are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, including other great shows like Left Turn Canada, Big Shiny Takes, and North Untapped. Thank you so much for listening. And as I previewed earlier on the show, we are here with Vicky Lean, the director and producer of The Climate Baby Dilemma, which has now aired on CBC and is available on CBC Gem right now. So after this interview, go watch it immediately. But thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I enjoyed our chat last time when we wa- we talked about we're all going to die. Yeah. So yeah. I, going for death to birth, you know, yeah. different direction, but still on you theme. Know what? In some ways, the editor, one of the editors and I talked about how this was the B side of that project, mm. because that that project, as you know, dealt with six existential threats facing the planet. And this project is sort of about how various existential threats, specifically climate change, are affecting a very personal existential dilemma so it's sort of the project i worked through the the existential double whammy of a, a global one on a personal scale yeah right fair enough well then the, so they can watch that one too right whether before yeah. or after depending on whichever works but as you mentioned 
one of the reasons why we didn't talk about this is that because I think this is a topic, A, that doesn't get covered too often. And B, it is an interesting entry point into trying to piece out the psyche of how people are feeling about this, right? Like, because it is such a personal decision. It does, I think, really get at how people are feeling about it. Because like people can say, oh, I feel this way or that way or this way. But ultimately, you know, how people say about things is one thing, how they react and what their actions they take in response to that knowledge tells you a lot more, I think, about their feelings. And so obvious, and so I do want to get into that piece. But before we even get there, I'd be curious if you could tell me that what inspired you to make this? Like, why did you want to make a documentary, you know, exploring people trying to decide about having a child in the face of climate change? Yeah. So I've been making docs that deal with environmental issues for a while now. My parents are environmental scientists. So I grew up sort of and I was drawn to documentaries really about like, how do we tell different stories about our relationship to nature and the environment and like really trying to change, you know, our perspective. And so looking for new angles on the story. And I'm in my mid 20s, mid 20s, I wish, mid 30s. And I am hearing a conversation that's happening in my circle. And so is Britt Ray, the science communicator and author who I follow in the film and I had known her for many years and she was recently married and telling me about struggling with this in her own life. And, and the question really inspired her to write her book, which came out this year and was nominated for the Governor General Award, actually for nonfiction. It's called Generation Dread. So some of your listeners might have seen that um, popping around. And, and for her, she was finding, you know, that there there's not like she felt very deviant for asking the question and she had a hunch like early on in the film when we started shooting like is this just something that happens in climate circles or is this more widespread like is this a sociological phenomenon or not and over the course of making the film we discovered that it is about like a survey that Britt co-authored found that almost 40 percent of Gen Z feel that the climate climate crisis makes them hesitant to have children so that's a lot that's not just climate circles. I wish 40% of Gen Z called themselves climate activists. So it's something, and as kind of you were pointing out, it's not something we hear about beyond kind of the privacy of our own families and friend circles. It's There's not a lot of norms or ways to process these feelings, but I think it's really important politically to give voice to the stakes that are involved and helping people connect to what it's doing to us emotionally because people generally aren't prone to act or change their behavior unless they see how it affects them in their own personal lives. So I know for some of the young women and and there are men too that feel this way that, but the, a, a woman shared with me, like when you tell a family member that they might not be an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent because of the climate crisis and you know, they might vote conservatively or not have these issues on their radar, but that that does affect them. You know, if they're managed, if they're fortunate to escape climate disasters for now, that is something that impacts them in their real lives. And it forces people to think about it from a different perspective. So I want the film to help people realize they're not alone and that there's like complex considerations that are going on for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. It's funny being someone who is sort of known to be somebody who pays attention to climate change. I've had a few of my Oh, really? Lists. You? <laughs> what? I know. Yeah. What a weird surprise. Yeah. But I have had some friends come up to me and be like, 
so what do you think I should do? Which mm-hmm. is obviously a very, you know, question that you can't answer exactly. But but it, but it what did indicate that it's not just people who are, you know, taking action. It's people who are, just know about the world. They pay attention to the world and they experience the world. And so I'm curious, from all of your work and talking to everybody, what did you learn about our, the state of our collective psyche, you know, in the face of climate change? Talking to all these different people and, again, even some of these research that was done. How are we doing? And what's this? Yeah. And what and what are people generally feeling about this whole situation? Yeah. So in the film, we interview climate psychologist, Dr. Renee Lertzman, and she's really interesting and quite pioneering in the film of cli- in the field of climate psychology. And it, this actually isn't talked about in the film, but she has a term that she coined called environmental melancholia. And it kind of describes more a state of like people sort of feeling like something's wrong and feeling like a bit of a sadness, but like not knowing really where it's coming from and not necessarily and like kind of pushing it down. And I would say that that describes how a lot of people are going. Like you don't meet anyone that's like, screw the environment. I don't give a shit. Like whoever says that. But a lot of people, I mean, maybe some people do, but like for the most part, people like parks. They like wild spaces. They like going to the cottage. But there's a disconnect. And I think collectively, there's a lot of people that feel that, but they're not really in touch with those emotions. And so a lot of the people that I'm featuring in the film, though, have started tapping into how the climate crisis makes them feel. And their decisions are coming from a place of great awareness of the future and also a great love for children. Like some people might react and say this is like, anti-human or because they're selfish and don't want kids but it's not that at all it's people care very deeply about children and the future they're having and and they're asking themselves can I devote you know for instance some people that have made the choice not to have kids have done so out of a place of wanting to put everything they can into climate action and making sure that the future for the next generation is safer and they feel like that's work they can't do if they have kids but what I learned from the process of making the film is just how rich and varied uh, all the all these emotions are and holding both of those together. Britt talks a lot about balancing hope and fear. And I heard that quite a bit between parents and non-parents. There are days when you feel angry and sad and grief. And there are days when you see the work having impact and they're profoundly inspirational and motivating so I think you know and I've also heard from people that had a journey there's a one woman who we feature who's a Vancouver-based mother and climate activist but she wasn't aware really of climate change until she had her first until her child was about one she read the IPCC report a, a few years ago and felt so much hopelessness like what have I done oh my god like grief and then she can she thought she was alone and felt unvalidated so there's like gaslighting that people go through or feeling like they're being gaslit oh don't worry like it's not a problem you're overreacting the future will be fine and then connecting with people that feel like-minded is really important and then finding activism and supporting your community in the ways that you you can can be like really motivational so she talks about activism being a form of love for the people and places you care about. So you know, that's just one person's journey and it can vary and oscillate. 
So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I find this interesting for one reason, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that I come from a philosophy background. And the question, the questions that are in these, that you're sort of unpacking here are moral ones. And, and our study doesn't really spend a lot of time really actually unpacking moral questions. You know, like the question, is it right to bring someone into this world, is one that could be debated forever and could have any number of moral underpinnings as reasons to why you should or shouldn't. It was, I remember there was a Ezra Klein podcast that came out a couple of months ago where someone asked him this question. And he was saying that basically every single time he had a AMA, like an Ask Me Anything session, at mm -hmm. least a good 10 to 20 people would ask him, should I have children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, and he, so eventually he was like, I've avoided it so many times, I've, I've given up, I'm gonna, answer, I'm gonna give you my answer. And of course mm -hmm. his answer was interesting, which was basically that like the, in his mind, the world you're gonna be born into now is no much worse and likely will be even better than what most of humanity has faced in the past, you know, thousands, thousands of years. So yeah. unless you want to condemn most of humanity to the immoral act of having children, it's not a reasonable argument, which I think is an interesting take. And, he, but he certainly would hate one... me for saying this, but it, he's taking from the like Steven Pinker school of looking at this moment in history. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's sort of like, well, like it's better than the Middle Ages and therefore yeah. that's fine, which is like an argument. I don't not, like, and again, he's not, I think it, he multiple times in that interview says a bunch about how like he's like, look, don't take my advice, make your own decisions. But it was interesting to hear someone who's so much more closer to the zeitgeist or, or has so many more people messaging him that that's the thing that he finally felt like he had to answer it was this question that you sort of unpack. Just this question, like that was a question that was driving Brit personally and professionally. And the way like for her, she answers the question personally, but like there is actually no answer to this question. There's no right or wrong answer to it. And the way I talked about it with this other, there's another activist group that's featured in the film Conceivable Future. And they've been doing these house parties that we feature in the film. And just, it's sort of an open source format to like help people kind of work through these questions for themselves and as a group and like connect. And And, and I think they're quite like politically quite useful in a sense and personally but you know she talks about like it's not even about the answer to that question it's the, just the very fact of this impossible question that my generation and people that are younger than me are now faced with and that's what we should be paying attention to is less less the answer to the question and more the very fact of the question that we're struggling with it and that we can't answer so it's like the impossibility of that question and then for Brit, like, you know, I think also what uh, people who've been thinking through this topic have said, once you, you reach that answer for yourself, new questions arise, no matter which one you take. So if you decide to have a child, then the question is like, what's now required to raise a child, to be resilient, to give back to their community? What's required of me in, in, in supporting a resilient, climate resilient and more racially just community. So like the questions don't stop, but I think it's like the fact that people are asking these questions is an urgent indicator as, as sort of Brit says in the film. And that's how I describe it. Some people mistake it. They're like, is this a movement? I'm like, it's not a movement. 
it's like it's an indicator of how people are feeling. No one's telling anyone to have kids or not. And I think there that can be a misunderstanding, too, with this topic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's not like someone's out here being like, this is how we should go about this. It's just that everyone is being faced with this question, which is, if you know the science, what do you do? And so it's it's becoming a much more a sort of salient question in the in in the minds of people. And so you asked a lot of people and talked to a lot of climate activists for this film. And I'm curious what their answers were. Were there any ones that really stood out to you or anything that anything you gleaned from their answers that you're like, this is a, a tidbit that would be well worth sharing? The first thing that came to my mind is the more some of the early, like the people in the film that shared that they weren't going to have kids that are in their early 20s. And, you know, some people might say, oh, well, they're so young, like they have their whole life. They'll probably like change their mind. But it's like the fact that they're thinking about this. And for some people, like it's a bit of a kind of a class and urban uh, projection. Like one of the young women who's 22, she's made the choice. But, you know, the film came out last week and her baby brother had a baby shower. So and she's from a rural, more rural can, like family her parents had her at 19 so so but a lot of the especially the gen z who are saying this and doing this work is like right now the way things are going they don't foresee themselves being able to have children and that's why they're so committed to doing this work is they hope that that answer will change and for them that answer might i've gotten the answer like a couple times and um, you know, there's so many factors that go into it. So many, so many factors. And like, I sort of just sidestep the question in a sense, like we have nine years before we limit catastrophic warming. And like in nine years, like I'll be able to definitively say whether or not I have biological children. I have a couple more years, not like a Gen Z does, but I think there's, it's really hard to to land on either side. But I think what I would say to people is that no matter what you choose, like it's difficult if you see it as like kind of a sacrifice and that something is being taken from you because you're never going to be happy with that. Like you have to imagine a world, you have to make the choice and see a world that's like rich and fulfilling in its own right. And for a lot of parents that, you know, decide to have kids while being climate aware, it, it forces a whole new level of climate activism on them, I think. But there's also other ways to have family. And that's the other thing that was interesting about the family, like, sorry, the film, just thinking about different permutations of family and, and being, oh, we should all be in involved in raising kids in our community. Like, it's become a very Western sort of focus, like this idea of a nuclear family versus like kind of raising kids in community and like it takes a village and, and all those things. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting aspect to this in that one of the conversations I see around me a fair amount is this idea of, well, it's not, a lot of people aren't saying no kids or eight or kids, but some of their people are definitely saying, well, what about like two or one yeah. and not three or four? And especially mm -hmm. the people who have one kid, you know, most of these people are people who grew up with siblings. And it's like this idea of like, do I, not give my kid the experience of having siblings? And if I am having it, how do we reorient this our society to actually have people grow up in real community? Like 
we we are so nuclear family, single family home based right now that it's very hard to imagine worlds, at least for those of us who grew up in that sort of setting, to imagine a world where my kid, if I only had one, theoretically, I don't have no children, as people probably know, but like my one child is not, like has an experience of what feeling like having a sibling is in, in, in current society, unless I actually just have more than one kid, right? Like it's actually very hard to imagine these more blended families or these more group collective living situations because we a we have very much not designed for it and it's it for those of us in sort of these west dominant western cultures it's been sort of discouraged and has not been a part of our experience and so right. it's interesting how much that shift would be needed to really actually get at some of these things like how do we live in more community to allow these people the us to feel like we have these larger families you know it's like some people out there just having kids because they need something to take care of them when they're older which is like not a good reason to have a child. Yeah, I mean, that's the selfish reason. People say like, oh, people don't have kids because they're selfish. But like some people have kids because of that selfish. But yeah. one thing that is so important to think about, like one thing in making the film, and I think in climate circles, it's talked about a lot. Um, but the idea of like a carbon footprint and your carbon legacy. And there was a very popular study that came out that is often cited in these conversations about having a child is the most carbon intensive thing you can do. But there's so many like caveats to that study and, and problems with it. And it can very easily. And that was a problem in the film that we had to dig into the question of because environmental circles can for like overpopulation and like we need to be and historically, that rhetoric, like Paul Ehrlich and the population bomb, and it's led the environmental movement occasionally into like some practices that infringe on people's human rights, particularly poor people in marginalized communities. We interview Dr. Jade Sasser, who wrote a whole book on that, on the relationship to the environmental movement and controlling women's bodies called infertile ground. So that is like a whole separate sidebar issue. So we didn't want to go into it too much. And because it's not the like the problem with climate change is not population, it's consumption patterns. And like the U.S. has contributed 25 percent of like cumulative CO2 emissions versus like sub-Saharan Africa's where it has the highest growth rates. Population growth rates are like less than one, two percent of cumulative emissions. So it's just it. If, so that's the way that this conversation can kind of get hijacked. And yeah, I think people start to think about it, though. And maybe it, it has when you're talking about like having multiple children. So in climate circles, I've heard that, you know, like having one kid, but two, maybe not. And that carbon footprint and carbon legacy that you leave kind of gets factored in. But that was the challenge in making the film for sure and making sure that this conversation isn't being confused with kind of a more problematic overpopulation rhetoric. Oh, um, yeah, for yeah. sure. And we should, I, I would be very clear that we are an anti-Malthusian show mm -hmm. because people, you can, you can start quoting Malthus at me once you make everyone stop flying private jets. Tell you what, that's my, that's my yeah. offer to anyone who wants to come at me about overpopulation problems. Once we have no, we, we're very overpopulated with private jets. Namely, there are some when there should be none. But yeah, I, I see that that's an interesting challenge because like obviously this is a very personal decision, right? This is a, like this is you're trying to understand this global phenomenon through a, a very individual lens, but it very easily, especially what can be 
lots of people are out there weaponizing, I think, this, the overpopulation sort of problem, you know, I'll, I'll say myth, as a way to honestly divert attention from the, the real drivers of the, of the problem. But I am curious about that, that piece about it being such a global problem. And as you're trying, but you're getting at it through this very, very personal lens. And so how did that, how did you find that? And how did you navigate that? Like, because you're going and asking people some of the most, per, like, I'm assuming you're talking to some people who probably haven't even told their parents they're not going to have kids, you know, or, or people who have no current plans to have children, but are still leaving that open to themselves. And like, all of those kind of things are like things that, these are questions that people hold very tightly to their chest, I think, for, for many reasons. And yet, like climate change is also everywhere, and so it's interesting this global down to this very, very micro. And how did you find about how did you find navigating that with the with your people that you're talking to? Yeah, it can be really hard. And I think for a few people that spoke out about their choice, like may receive blowback pretty much every single one of them at a certain point. So I think I think a lot of the people that did share their story recognized how important it is to normalize the conversation. And because it does get people going, particularly in the West. So we only spoke with people that and featured it, it is predominantly in developed countries that are talking about this issue. And the like Lim, who's a young climate activist in the film, she launches a pledge around the time of the federal election in 2019. And it was a no future, no children pledge. And like some people are giving her blowback and she's like the audience of this pledge is meant for the people that are most responsible for climate change we're not telling anyone ever not to have kids so to, the film generally featured people that were already kind of and it was difficult nonetheless to share these stories but people that have been speaking about it but i we do and i think just going back to something earlier that we brought up with sort of Okay, well, he, he, in the span of Ezra Klein looks at the span of human history, we're better than the Middle Ages. And it's actually like important on many levels, psychologically, morally, and even just in terms of justice to look about, look, step into the lens of human history and think about this moment and put it into perspective. And that's why in the film, we also feature. Um, an indigenous mother and and certainly that was something that Brit found in writing her book that this sentiment isn't common among indigenous people who like she talks about how you know we've white people and, and non-indigenous people we've had the privilege to live outside of genocide and this is sort of the first time like they've been indigenous people have been existentially challenged for hundreds of years and African-American communities like that have been raising children um, it we do we have a, a standalone doc that features Amara Ajani Rolston, who's um, he runs the Climate Resilience Lab at U of T, and really really great conversation with him. And he talks about like he gets this question a lot at work, being a father of three, and needing to think about it. Like, you know, his ancestors from Barbados like had to raise children where their humanity wasn't respected, so they had to bring children into really uncertain times. And all you can do is resist and fight and continue on. So looking to that and not, you know, not to dismiss the climate emotions that young people feel, but just recognizing that it varies from like gender and race and class. And Britt talks about it in her book and Serene also 
hints at, like articulates in the film that, you know, tapping into this shared fear about a future can be sort of a window into how other populations have lived for centuries. And it's a, it's a way, once you feel that, like you can kind of relate and it's a, a path, a portal or a window or something towards building solidarity, which I think is like really important and like understanding the importance of like advancing racial justice within climate action. And I think that this conversation actually can open up into that conversation in a way that people might not expect. But yeah, so many questions come out of this film that touch on a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. The I, when I was reading and when I was experiencing the film, that the idea that like letting the colonizers win by not having a kid, and you, you, you hear them say that it makes immediate sense, right? It's like, of course, like if you've experienced the last couple hundred years <laughs> of being tried to have your your identity and in, in who you are, you know, destroyed. No, ver no one would give would then give in at this point and be like, oh, you're oh, you know what? Actually, because climate change might be hard, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pass. You know, like so many people have lived through these other experiences that very much color the the thought processes. And what I do appreciate about the film is all of the different people you actually get to bring together and and have them articulate their own way to it. Because, like, I, I think I, I presume you would agree that there is not a right answer to this question. You know, there's other than if someone's answer is, well, I am going to go fly 16 private jets because I want to just have all the fun I can have before the world goes. Then maybe I'd said that's the wrong answer. But to the personal question of whether or not you should have a kid, I think that's, you know, again, will only be right for the person who's dealing with it. But as we said, and as we've talked about, lots of people are, are dealing with this and lots of people have this question. And so after you doing all this research and talking to all these people, if there are people who are listening right now and working through this question, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So after you watch the film, there's a few things. Like if you're really grappling with this question. So Britt, we, we released an article where she kind of gives some tips having struggled with the question herself and, and sort of some of the ones we've talked about, like recognizing that this is not the first time that humanity's been existentially challenged and just like picturing your life journaling about it like what it looks like with a child without a child and how the climate crisis like that in, in the scene in the film with where we feature some people working through it like part of that conversation is also like if you're not if you're doing this as a political statement like you have to people have to know it and there has to be to a larger movement because like you alone not having a child and if you feel like you are suffering in some way by not like that doesn't really help you and it doesn't serve the larger political thrust of it so like connecting with other people who feel this way and connecting with climate groups so conceivable future like having a hosting a, a small house party like if you go to their website you can do that and i i know we like we had a few toronto-based climate activists that participated in that and and the feedback was like it was a really like politically effective tool it was so hard to edit down that whole scene and like not give everyone's like extremely personal perspective like just a quick soundbite but yeah like i i'm really really happy that they shared because i think showing a model of like that conversation and normalizing the conversation 
is really effective. And like the founders talk about that, you know, this consciousness raising, like based on sort of movements in the 60s around like consciousness raising little gatherings for the feminist movement. And what the reason why they started this format was just they were finding that there was sort of a heart missing in the climate movement. And people sort of talk about far away horrors, but so many activists are thinking about the work they do in terms of a child they have or a child they want to have in what the house party format does. And like, it helps people tap into like why this matters and why they're doing it. And it can be invigorating having that conversation, like connecting it to, to kids and to the future, whether you have them biologically or not. So I think that those are really helpful tools and like really having this conversation with other people because that's another thing that I think generally applies to climate emotions is the more isolated and alone you feel, that's where like fear and anxiety really flourish. And I heard time and time again, like that. And and I think that's also one of the sad things because a film follows a lot of the youth activists that, and I was there marching with the ones that led the big Montreal climate strike. Like that's featured in the film that morning in talking to those young women that were really helping organize that and you know that it's it those strikes you know some of them feel like you know maybe they didn't lead to a lot of political action but what they did was really join together a network of youth that feel strongly about these issues and aren't like being gaslit sort of by their parents or in their by their teachers that they're overreacting so I think that's just like one of the really important things that came out of those youth climate strikes and I hope that that momentum building comes back because I actually think it's really important for youth to be coming together. It's such a cliche in a way, like, you know, connect with your community, all this stuff. But emotionally, like, it was really important. And I think it continues on the older we get. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, and then I would say, like, for people that have had kids that are, like, feeling or useless you know, connecting with organizations like For Our Kids and finding just like, I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast, that Venn diagram of like what you can do to support climate action, like what you're good at and then what you're, what you want to do and then what the climate movement needs and then finding yourself in that center. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And all the ways of just, what's funny about that is like the number one advice when you go to activists about how to get involved the answer is always like go talk to people you know like yeah. there are so many open meetings go to an open meeting hear what they need like there's no such thing as a very well resourced like client small local climate group every local climate group could use another 55 people in it and so and, like just get involved and actually um that reminds me like Renee Lertzman says it at the end of her interview, like about the most important thing we can be doing is having emotionally intelligent conversations with people about these emotions. And it was tough to edit that interview because some of the stuff she's saying sounds so obvious. And she even says it like, but it's actually a very specific type of conversation that I feel like a lot of us aren't necessarily having. Like we're spewing out facts. We're like lecturing people. But to have an emotionally intelligent conversation is like actually a different mode you know, it's a lot more listening. It's a lot more like not telling someone they're being ridiculous or telling someone how to feel, but like talking through things. And it's about talking about it in places you don't normally talk about it. And I think what the film is trying to do is have parents and would-be parents talking about it at school 
school groups, like with other parents who aren't in climate action and like talking about it in every kind of space that you're in for what it means for you personally and connect it, like talk to your grandparent or sorry, talk to your parent. Like if you're on the fence about having kids, tell your parents, especially if they vote conservatively. That is that really gets people going, I tell you. So, yeah, for sure. And yeah, the space is for it everywhere, really. Just any and I have these, as you said earlier, you even have these conversations about your own personal decisions have impacts, you know, right? Like if it's you don't even have to go out and say someone should change, even articulating your own thoughts about why you are thinking about children differently, et cetera, et cetera will have an impact on people around you who care about you or who will be impacted because it's normalizing that conversation. It's bringing people in towards towards a deeper understanding and thinking about it. Uh, so we're coming towards the end, but this did air already. On It aired on the 25th of November. And so it's available on CBC Gem right now. And I'm curious, so now, you know, a bunch of people have already seen it. How has the response been? And what's the conversation been about it now that it's out in the world? I so far so good like the people in the film like from that I've heard from they they like it and I'm getting a lot of like Brit has shared on her Jen Dread newsletter which I recommend people following her that newsletter and also her Instagram and a lot of interest and in, like among the youth climate activists like just thank thank you for sh bringing this conversation to light also people you know that work in the environment and climate but are older a bit older generation and, and maybe didn't connect to this and they're like wow I didn't realize this was so common like I'm really glad that I am thinking about it in this way because I haven't haven't been thinking about it from this personal perspective so it's been pretty good there's obviously like unfortunately reactions on both sides anytime someone decides to have a kid or not to have a kid that can lead to blowback you know even in the like some extreme people might say like how could you have a child if you care about the climate crisis or you know like how could you speak on behalf of of the, our community and like honestly it is everyone in the film is speaking from their personal perspective but I think anytime particularly a woman articulates a decision about having a kid or not that can aggravate a lot of people and then you put in like climate stuff and that just inflames the trolls so there there's always that with this conversation and i think but no i've, I've surprised it hasn't been more but yeah so that's been good yeah i think people i think the conversation is now becoming so more mainstream and it's not that that people are like okay there's something to this right it's not it doesn't seem sort of like attacky it's more like no people are well as we've discussed i think it's probably not uncommon for people to at least know a couple people who have asked this question. You know, mm -hmm. like by the time I began hearing about this documentary you're putting together in the spring, it had been a conversation I had a few times with a few friends, you know, mm -hmm. at different times. So it's, I do think you're right. I think it's more and more in the a conversation that people are at least hearing in their ether and around them as, as these conversations and as these discussions come forward. So I've said it a couple times already, but how can folks find this film and watch it and experience it for themselves? Yes. Yeah, so The Climate Baby Dilemma is on CBC Gem. It's free, unlike Netflix. So it streams. You can get the app on your TV. You can find it on your laptop. You can find an app on your phone. 
So it's really everywhere in Canada. We should be having international dates soon. And I'm hoping that there'll be resources for schools as well. And then We're All Gonna Die is on Craze. And our last episode, we work up to climate change. And I'm on Twitter, Victoria Lean, and on Instagram as Vicky Leaks, like WikiLeaks, but with a V. So yeah, I look forward to hearing what your listeners think of the film. Amazing. Well, it is our tradition to give our guests the last word of the show. So what I'll do is I'll thank you, and then I'll throw it to you for a, for a last word. You can speak directly to our audience. But before I do that, thank you so much. Vicky Lean, the director and producer of The Climate Baby Dilemma, which is now available on CBC Gem. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for this great work. And yeah, any last thoughts to our listeners? Oh, I hope that the film encourages everyone to keep asking more questions and having the conversation with everyone they know. Thank you for having me.